listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, March the 25th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and as is our custom on Mondays, we take a look at one of the readings for the following Sunday, which will be a Sunday in Lent. I indicated in the promo that there are teachings of the Christian church that are found in other religions. And then there are those that are found in no other religion. And of course, we're going to be taking a look at a passage that meets the latter qualifications. You can't find this in any other religion. First of all, let me explain what I mean by similar passages. Most religions would probably agree with our fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not commit adultery, or thou shalt not steal. That's kind of a common understanding, depending on what they mean by murder, adultery, and, and stealing. On the other hand, even in the Ten Commandments, the first three commandments are simply not found in other religions. What? Don't they have a God? Yes, but the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's referring to the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There, there is no other religion outside of Christianity that believes in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You see, God is the Holy Trinity, the God of everybody. And people are taking his name in vain, and there's no other religion outside of Christianity that teaches that, that you should not take the name of the Father or the Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, other religions do have worship days, but they don't have the understanding of the Sabbath as does the Christian faith. So what we're going to be taking a look at is another passage in the Bible that you cannot find in any other religion. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and the text is the epistle from 2 Corinthians that Paul had written, the Apostle Paul, and it's verses 16 through the end of the chapter, verse 21. So let's kind of take a look at this. He begins by saying, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What was he talking about here? It's a theme that I have in every sermon. And it's a way of trying to reach out to those who have left the church. The goal of my sermon is to get people to think like God thinks rather than like human beings think. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. He doesn't want theology as an approach by people from the world's point of view but from God's point of view. In fact, he even says, 
We regarded him thus no longer. We once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Before he was converted, Paul thought that Jesus was just another human being according to the flesh. And he persecuted him because he thought he was speaking out against the teachings of Judaism. Salvation through him? Ridiculous. But once he became converted, he no longer regards Jesus according to the flesh. He's God. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, we're we're still dealing with what may be found in other religions, that when you become affiliated with the gods of these other religions, they could also say the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. But we're going to see that in Christianity, that has a totally different meaning than do these other religions. Verse 18, all this is from God. Now, there's a kind of a new thought that you don't always find in other religions. That in the freedom of the will, Martin Luther makes a point that we have wills, but we can only choose and select items below heaven, like what house we're going to live in, who we're going to marry, what clothes we're going to buy, what food we're going to eat. We have no free will to choose things above the earth, namely to believe in the true God. That is a gift from the Holy Spirit. We have an active will when it comes to things below the world, but we have a passive will when we think of things above the earth, namely heaven itself. Passive means that we're motivated by God, we're moved by God, we're converted by God, we receive faith from God. All this is from God. Now comes the part that no other religion teaches. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Now, what's so new about this? If you stop and think about it, every religion in the world, when they think of their problem they have on a spiritual level, the problem is always God. God is not reconciled to us. And therefore, it is our job to get him to be reconciled to us. And the way we get God to be reconciled, we start obeying his commandments. We may do various kinds of worship. We follow certain practices And in that way, we hope that God will begin to like us, love us, and finally save us. This text says the very opposite. That in Christ, this is verse 19, this is a direct quote. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. You see, every religion thinks 
What can I do to get God to be reconciled to me? Christianity has the antidote to that. And see, a lot of young people who leave the church, they look to God with a frowning face. He's not reconciled to me. I wouldn't mind being reconciled to him, but it is so difficult. Look at all the things he puts me through. I have bad marriages. I may not be able to afford the things that I buy or keep up like my house. Uh, My children are disobedient. Did they become sick? What's God doing to me? It's obviously he's showing me that he's not reconciled to me yet. And so rather than attempt to be reconciled to him, I give up. And I say there is no God. I become an atheist. But see, this text says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. See, what separates us from God is very clear since the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. What separates us is our disobedience against his commandments. And how can we possibly be saved when we realize that we're disobedient? And why would we want to be saved when we think about God with a frown on his face looking down on us and punishing us. I mean, how many times do even Lutheran pastors hear from their members, Pastor, what did I do to deserve this suffering? See, that is an understanding of other religions, but it is not found in Christianity. God even permits suffering to the righteous. All the apostles, except for John, died a martyr's death. Remember, there's a um, theme that Jesus talks about, and it was in the lesson for last week, that certain people died at the hands of Pontius Pilate in the temple, and Jesus, Galileans, and Jesus says, do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans? He says, no, they weren't. In other words, he's making a point that God doesn't bring additional punishment on worse sinners. The fact of the matter is, you may have some consequences of your temporal sins here on earth, but that a tower of Siloam would fall on people doesn't mean that God thinks that they're worse sinners. We're all equal in our sin. So how can God be reconciled to the world of sin? See, young people who are leaving the church think that, well, if there is a God, I sure don't like the way he's acting. He's not fair. He's causing unnecessary suffering. But the way that God is reconciled to the world in Christ is continued in verse 9, not counting their trespasses against them. What does that mean? It's the meaning of forgiveness. I've, I've said this before on the air and elsewhere. I had been visiting prisoners in a federal prison in Dallas, Texas, and trying to explain to them what forgiveness was. And I said... 
What would happen if the warden came in and said that you were forgiven? And they all agreed they would be allowed to go out of prison. They would be freed. Then I asked, would you still be guilty of your crime? They said, yes. I said, you now understand Christianity. That God doesn't count trespasses against you because you are sinless, but because he has forgiven you because of Christ who died on the cross, taking upon himself the punishment you should have received. That's why God is reconciled to us. You try and find that in any other religion outside of Christianity, where the God sacrifices himself for his own people. You don't find it anywhere. And you see, this puts a different face on God for those young people who have left the church. They look at God with a frowning face, but this shows that God is really smiling at them because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, why does Paul mention that? Well, we haven't finished the verse. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, you probably have had arguments with people and you're still not reconciled to them. What is necessary for that reconciliation to take place? Well, you would expect an apology or the person with whom you're not reconciled to agree that he or she was wrong and ask you to forgive them. Well, guess what? It's not God that is the problem. He already is reconciled to human beings because of the death of Jesus Christ, because he no longer holds us accountable for our sins. The only way that we get held accountable for our sins is that we refuse the free gift of reconciliation from Jesus Christ. So what does Paul say that he is? Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, what's an ambassador? Well, The President of the United States appoints ambassadors for various countries, uh, for the Vatican, etc. And the ambassador actually represents the authority of the one who sends them. I say that when I do the absolution. I, as a pastor, have no power to forgive anybody. But I have the authority to announce the gift of forgiveness And we say that in the absolution. And by God's authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins. It's as though I'm not the one talking. It's Jesus who is talking. And therefore, that's the message of reconciliation. You don't have to do anything for God to be reconciled to you. Christ did it all. And and that's why... Verse 20 continues, as Paul says, 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're the spokespeople in the place of Christ. And what are we saying? God making his appeal through us. Isn't that really good news? That in a pastor, when he absolves you of your sins, it's really God making his appeal through that pastor. The The next sentence really shows the difference between Christianity and every other religion. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, there's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion, God isn't reconciled to me. So I got to figure out what I have to do, what I have to practice, how I need to pray, how I need to worship, what good works, what commandments to follow. And we're trying to get God to be reconciled to us. Where the problem is not God, it's us. We refuse to be reconciled to God. And, and why do we refuse that? Well, there are so many reasons, and that's why you need to talk to the individual who's left the church to find out what the pain they're experiencing is. For instance, one example, the idea the church teaches that you do not have free will in spiritual matters can really bother somebody. They'll jump to the conclusion, oh, so I'm a robot? I don't have any say in whether I want to believe in Jesus Christ or not. Well, we need to understand the distinction between being active in your decisions and being passive. Water is wet. It has to do nothing to be wet. That's the way water is. So actively it is wet. But if you want to heat up water for tea or something, what has to happen? An outside source has to come in and make the water hot, either on a stove or whatever. That's the same with us. Actively, we're able to do good works here on earth out of self-interest. But we are unable to do them out of faith in Jesus Christ because we don't believe in him. And for us to believe in him is a gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives us that faith. Therefore, God makes his appeal through pastors and others that be reconciled to God. And how do we get reconciled to God? Through faith, we believe that Jesus really did die for our sins. Through faith in Jesus, we believe he has promises to counter all the sufferings that we're undergoing. For example, a recent email talked about a woman who no longer believes in God because her child has leukemia. Well, I would meet with that woman and first of all show the wonderful things that medicine can do to help that child keep on living. I can show her by talking with her about the things that are happening in her life that are blessings from God, 
and you keep just showing those things until they begin to realize that Jesus really has a smiling face on us. And the greatest way that he smiles on us is he no longer holds us accountable for our sins because of what he did on the cross. You, you won't find that in any other religion outside of Christianity. Well, how is he able to pay for our sins? He's God. He's sinless. Well, that's what the next verse talks about. Verse 21, the end of our reading. For our sake, he, that's God the Father, made him, that's God the Son, to be sin. That occurred, I believe, at the baptism of John the baptizer on Jesus. John says, hey, you don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus underwent John the baptizer's baptism of repentance. But he had no sin, so how could he be repentant? He was taking upon himself the sin of the world. He became sin. And the verse goes on, who knew no sin. So that's not found anywhere in any other religion of the world. That the gods of every other religion so loved uh, people that he had created who had fallen into sin that he sacrificed himself to take upon themselves the punishment of the sin that they deserved in order that our sin would not be counted against us. You see, if you, you rob a bank, you're free. Unless you're caught, you go to court, you're judged guilty, and then your sin is counted against you as you're put into, let's say, prison for 10 years or whatever. That's how sin is counted, by receiving the punishment. For God not to count sin against you means he is not going to hold you accountable. No wonder the world thinks that God is unfair. Because he doesn't hold, as Jesus didn't, repentant tax collectors or prostitutes or other sinners of that world, and instead looks to the Pharisees and say, your father is the devil because you don't believe in me, and you refuse the gift that I'm offering you, so you will be counted your sin against you and spend an eternity in hell. So that verse 21, I'm not done. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is tremendous. I was just talking to somebody on the phone at length last night, one of our listeners, who was talking about, you know, we talk a lot about the forgiveness of sins, but there isn't that much talked about concerning the robe of righteousness. And we got a good discussion going on that the forgiveness of sins takes care of of the sins that we willingly do, the sins of commission. But what takes care of our sins of 
omission, namely the good works we're supposed to do. God dresses us in the righteousness of Christ. So just as Christ became sin who knew no sin, Christians are regarded by God as righteous even though they're unable to do one righteous, sinless, perfect, good work. See, what counts is not how we look at ourselves or others, but how God regards us. This is a tremendous text to show the unique nature of the Christian faith. And I think it'll bring a smile on the face of Jesus. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we're going to be looking at another hymn. And our goal this week is, does this hymn help those who have left the church come to understand Jesus with a smile on his face? Join with us on the next broadcast of Law and Gospel, as this week we're taking a look at how to reach out to those who have left the church. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.